0: Shelly, kete here koe, kete pe here koe, or you know, as when I'm not riffing in Te Māori, I might say, how are you? Where are you?
1: I'm good because I'm drinking beer, so I'm always good. We are hanging out um, on the. Where are we? At the port in Picton, right? Yeah. Yeah, just on the water, right on the water. Beautiful boats, lovely sunshine, nice calm uh, afternoon here, and we've. We've actually come down here to quench our thirst after a delicious provincial curry, which, Baden, you started to get a hankering for.
0: Yeah, I've been wanting to have a provincial curry for quite some time. We saw a place, Sargun Curry House, down in Goa. Uh, But unfortunately, at the time, I had a full stomach, so I couldn't really get in for a curry. And I also, uh, it was about 8.30 in the morning, so it just really wasn't appropriate. So I've been looking for a good place for a provincial curry um, to try one. Normally, you only go to the cities to have curries, and... They're, they're doing them pretty well out in the provinces as well. So it's great to have one here in Picton today.
1: Okay. And um, for now the third time, I believe, we're joined by Nick Armstrong. Nick, how did you feel about the curry today?
2: I thought it was rather fantastic. I would have just, I mean, I would have been happier with carrot cake, but you guys <laughs> wrangled me into a curry, so I suffered through it. It was
1: good. It was really He's good. He's obsessed yeah. with carrot cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a sad affliction (laughs) welcome to the how are you where are you podcast you can call this an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike and this is an adventure that after three we counted 390 days is on the verge of coming to an end as we sit here in lovely picton
0: in breaking news my new career plans are about to be revealed right here on the how are you where are you podcast I'm going to be a sheepdog trialist, um, which basically involves getting, um, well, rustling sheep, getting them in. Well, not rustling, (laughs) it's stealing sheep. I won't be stealing any sheep, um, please. (laughs) But what I will be doing is commanding dogs to um, basically woof sheeps into pens. And um, (laughs) my career, my, uh, the career, well, the plans have been brewing for about a day now. Um, yesterday in the Rye Valley went to a rural supply shop and I bought a plastic sheepdog whistle Shelley bought a um, a stainless steel one which is yet to prove very effective Um, look I'll, I'll give the plastic one a bit of a go for the listeners just to sort of understand where I'll be heading in my future direction so Yeah, a lot of spit is um, involved. Um, I'm not quite sure how to, um, you know, get rid of that. But, yeah, look, I'm only on day two of um, this career path. Uh, Basically, what I've just done there is I've just said um, to my dogs, which I don't have yet, um, (laughs) get in behind. And Actually, I noticed a dog over by the playground here down by the port. He did seem to get in behind some children. Um, I don't know if that is a response to my whistling, but... I know, I'll take that as a win. So look, um, I'm going to need a bit of help, uh, but I guess a bit of a Kickstarter really to get this um, up and running, this new career path. So um, I think I'll launch a Kickstarter campaign tomorrow uh, when we get back to Wellington. I'm going to need dogs and a sheep um, or some sheep, maybe six sheep will do to get get me started and then... um, yeah, to just really take take the show around the country. And, money.
1: and how, yeah, how will you actually earn money from this career? Prize money. Could you explain that for, for me?
0: Okay, well, um, we have a series of shows around New Zealand, uh, mostly during the summertime. I'll be going into training because we're heading into winter. But during the summertime, there's a lot of shows around New Zealand, A&P shows or uh, ag fests, as we saw over in the West Coast, a lot of those that want to put up a bit of money for good sheepdog trialists to come in there and really show their stuff and so that's what I'll be working for I think we can um you know feed our run our relationship based on the weddings of um sheepdog trials
1: Okay, well, let's, let's maybe take that whistle out of your mouth there, Bay. Where have we been since Arthur's passed our last episode on the podcast? Well, we've been to Christchurch. We've been on the Rainbow Trail. And we've been through Motueka, Nelson, and now in Picton. We're going to talk a little bit more about all of those shortly. But first up, Christchurch, Bay, an emotional for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I get, of those three places, I think, or um, well, those three regions, Canterbury is the only one where I didn't breach a liquor ban um we've breached them pretty much in all other places but um yeah Christchurch it was the first time back um in all seriousness since um well since the earthquake happened um I haven't been there I studied there in the 2000s early well 2000 year 2000 and hadn't been really back and they had an earthquake in 2011 um which killed around 200 people and the city, the change, the, the face of the city has really changed forever, and it was kind of blow blow, blew me away. Really, riding when we first rode into the CBD, and yeah, some of the landmarks that I knew to get around the city were no longer there. Christchurch wasn't a particularly particularly um, high-rise city, but riding through there and just not seeing any buildings over three stories uh, was kind of. Um, it took me back, really, and, yeah, it was, um, was kind of sad to be back, but, oh, and sad, you know, sort of hearing some people's stories. I mean, the other thing is that, um, I don't know, I mean, I haven't really seen all the media around what's happened since the Christchurch earthquake, but it's still pretty raw for people, you know, like, people lost their houses, um, you know, e- even people who just experienced, no um, no limited or small damage to their houses, they still... Um, feel a bit haunted by the earthquakes and um just yeah hearing um, people tell us about that and how um you know a lot of people in Christchurch will en- whenever they enter a building they'll look for where the exit is you know um or look you know if it starts shaking you know what will I need to do to, to protect myself and where wherever I am right now um yeah so I hadn't really thought about that or seen that from people's perspective but um But on the flip side of it, there is a hell of a lot of positivity in Christchurch. And that was really uplifting, wasn't it?
1: I don't know. It helped that when we were there, the weather was really, really beautiful. Um, But, yeah, I just got such a good feeling from it. Also, it helped that we met up with good friends of yours who took such good care of us and showed us a really good time and were super generous to us. Um, So, yeah, it's a city I'd like to go back to and, and spend more time in. Nick, it's your new hometown uh, what, did, what did you kind of think about coming to Christchurch not having been familiar with it before the earthquake or anything like that How, what was your take on it well
2: as Baden said I mean there's definitely a raw quality to it there's a lot of construction still going on and a lot of people who um, are have still yet to see any any progress made on their property uh, there was one guy that um, for you know almost six years now since the quakes I believe and he just got back from the insurance company and they denied his claim. So he's still living in a condemned house for coming on six years. Um, but one thing that was great is just the this, this sense of community. I mean, um, Canterbury and Christchurch especially, I mean, they, they went through this horrific thing um, and everyone was touched by it, whether a relative was injured or, you know, unfortunately killed in the incident. Um, everyone knew what it was like and everyone kind of banded together to to seek some positivity out of it uh, there's a great sign on the uh, the art Museum which is used to be the what was it the police
1: uh, forces headquarters civil or? defense headquarters during the earthquake yeah.
2: yeah yeah but it says everything's going to be all right and uh, I think that was I mean it, it perfectly describes Christchurch to me mm.
0: yeah. yeah its a, it's a city that's um that's really moving forth and You know, and I think the rest of the country has got a lot to learn about how the people of Christchurch get along and show real community spirit. You know, I hope that when you know we cross the Strait tomorrow and go to Wellington, that's the sort of stuff we're going to see in our city as well.
3: Um.
1: Something else that I really appreciated about our time in Christchurch was meeting some really inspiring women. So we first of all stayed um, with a really great lady called Emily, and we met her on Porter's Pass, which is when you're coming out of Arthur's Pass over to the East Coast. Um, That's the kind of last bit of the hills. And um, we got chatting to her, and she very kindly invited us to stay at her place in Christchurch. And just a, a super energetic and friendly woman who... I felt yeah really inspired by and just her just all of her positive energy it was just you know she was thinking of of about 10 things at once and just all smiles and just obviously enjoying life and I was like okay this is a really cool lady and then we stayed with um, your old friend Katie Duncan and her mother-in-law Min and I mean those guys are great and we met Katie's sister George and these are ladies who they've got families and they're working and they're kind of they're kind of owning it you know and so i think coming back from a big trip to you know a working life it's really nice to see these women who yeah who just kind of show what's possible um and we also stayed with katie's mum tina um out in huranui which was so beautiful the three of us all got to go and stay out there at her place um she's got a lovely home and She's someone who doesn't seem to have too much fear of taking a few risks in life. And um, yeah, just a a very brave person and and obviously a strong woman. And yeah, I just took a lot of pleasure in meeting all of those guys. So it was special for me. I was nervous about riding from Hanma Springs to Motueka over the Rainbow Trail, a 112 kilometer off-road track that runs through backcountry farmland and it's rated Grade 3 difficulty level.
2: Off-road trails can be narrow and may include hill climbs, steep drop-offs, and small river crossings. The trail surface is mostly firm, but may include or loose sections. There may be obstacles to avoid.
1: The night before, the wind was building as we lay in Terry the tent. The shadows of tree branches cast by the full moon were dancing around the tent roof. The morning revealed a strong northerly that would make our journey even tougher. First thing was to get permission to use the trail.
0: Okay, so I have to leave a message if no one answers. Oh, hello. Are you guys that manage the Rainbow Track? Oh, cool. Hi. Um, my name's Baden Campbell. I'm just about to go cycling with my wife and a friend o- over the Rainbow Track. Yes, yeah, starting today. And yeah, tomorrow as well. Okay, cool. So the lock gates, right. And where are they? Okay Uh, Yeah, we should be able to lift our bikes over them. (laughs) They're not like deer gates are they? You know, like they're normal gates. Okay, cool. Okay Okay, and where's a good place to stop sort of halfway along? Okay. Okay, that sounds fine. Okay, awesome. Well, um, and and we just pay the fee at the Rainbow Cottage. Or oh, right, unless... Okay, so we might see a farmer on the way. Okay, no problem. Okay, well, we're just about to leave and go and do the track now. Okay, great. And your name is Tim. Okay, great. Thanks, Tim. See you, mate. Bye.
1: My legs felt heavy as we hit the sharp 8K climb out of Handler Springs. The loose gravel shifted under our tyres, and the wind pushed its way through the pine trees and tried to force us back downhill. After two kilometres, my legs warmed up, or woke up, and I found enough rhythm to get to the top of Jack's Pass. But where was Nick? He'd taken a more challenging track, and he showed up ten minutes later.
0: Bring her home! We knew you could do it, Nick! Oh, those were a couple dead ends. So we sent you on that, uh, did we send you on a bum road, did we? Uh, Yeah, it turned out to be like a backpackers road. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) it got really sketchy. So I turned around and took the other road to the right that said it went to the road, but that track was gone. And so I had to follow this road through like a bunch of bee boxes and I'm allergic to bees. It was pretty fun though, I finally found the road, so. This wind is uh, pretty terrible.
1: We dropped down into a valley and the beginning of Molesworth Station. The $2 booklet we bought from the info center told
0: us that Molesworth Station is the biggest farm in New Zealand and once ran 95,000 sheep. It was left abandoned and then taken over by the government in 1938. And what we find today is one of New Zealand's harshest environments, it's got shifting screes, wide grasslands and steep hillsides. The 180,000 hectares is now used for cattle, recreation and conservation. Progress was slow
1: and I slowest of all. Nick and Baden pulled way ahead and while I tried to focus on the bare hills and fast moving clouds in the wide open sky, I couldn't help but feel disappointed in myself and grumpy for being left behind. As misty rain fell and the wind slapped it into our faces, we saw an old hut below Fowler's Pass and ducked inside to make sandwiches at the old table. There was graffiti from 2015 all the way back to 1939 inside. The wind puffed in at the old fireplace and reminded us we had a long way to go. The weather worsened and we were tired and wet as we approached the climb to Island Saddle, New Zealand's highest publicly accessible track at 1350 meters. The gradients were brutal though we were sheltered from the wind. I just kept chanting in my head don't stop don't stop and focused on finding the path with the most traction through the stones and sand. At the top Oh, baby.
3: Shit, sorry, (sighs) baby. I'm hammered. I'm hammered. That was really, really hard. Wow. Well done, Joe. Well
0: done, (sighs) babes. Oh goodness me. I said some sweary words going up there. That was hard. That road was crap. That road was crap. But we made it up. Where are we? Island Saddle. It's hardly a tropical island, is it? Island Saddle
1: drenching rain on us. Nick was away and down the hill while Baden and I carefully tried not to fall off. We were in a strange looking world of gray blue scree slopes, huge power pylons and tussocky marshes. We rounded a corner and saw Nick had sprawled his name with a vague arrow at a junction. Had he turned off for Island Gully Hut? On we went trying to make out his tyre tracks and desperately hoping for signs of the sedge mare hut we were supposed to be sleeping in. Would there be any space for us? Darkness was falling when we finally saw the hut and luckily a friendly family had started the fire and made space for us on a bunk. We thawed out and changed our clothes and it was such a relief. I actually felt a bit shell-shocked. A couple from the other hut, the Island Gully Hut, came to grab firewood, and we found out Nick had a bed there. The fire was drying our clothes, and the rain easing as we went to sleep, cosy and warm.
0: The second day on the Rainbow Track was absolutely, sensationally outstanding. Um, it was one it just reminded off of, of other, us of other days on the trip where we've um, you know faced a bit of adversity, a bit of poor weather, you know, a bit of you know had to really um, dig into the stalls of grit and determination to get through. Uh, because the next day was beautifully sunny, barely a cloud in the sky, and even better, we had a tailwind pushing us out of uh, pushing us out of the Rainbow Valley there, and. Um, yeah kind of sort of lifted our spirits a bit after the day before
1: and yeah that's that has happened a couple of times previously where we've just had a really traumatizing day and woken up to perfect weather and had you know one of many really really amazing days in the saddle which just restores your faith in cycle touring and that's what happened and we got to appreciate the scenery more i mean the day before i just had my head down the whole time and you know on that second day the it was a beautiful blue sky and everything was just lit up and gorgeous um and we were just racing along and it felt easy mm-hmm. uh what did you think
2: uh i was in love with it i mean the the scenery was amazing the second day uh the only detractor from it was i mean there are power lines that run through so you do feel like there is civilization around but if that wasn't there you just feel like you were, you know a man on the moon and it was amazing rock formations some great forests uh streams we had to cross a couple of those some more successfully than others (laughs) one was pretty pretty wide and pretty deep so we found a, a shallower narrower section it was still almost up to your knees um, so we pushed our bikes across and Baden you know thinking ahead was like I'm gonna Nick I'll throw my my shoes across to you and so he threw the first one which was just like straight at my face so I'd kind right of let it oh yeah it was <laughs> it was perfect straight in the strike zone perfect throw um, so, you know, I told him off for throwing it at my face. So I got to keep it in good condition. You never know. Um, and then uh, the second one, he, he winds up and he throws it, but let goes late because he's going underhand and it just goes straight into the air and plops right in the river and just starts going off. So luckily we got it out, but it was like a, a really funny slash terrifying moment. Because riding through the rest of the track with one shoe would have been r- really
0: difficult. Yeah, I, I, I faced some pretty severe consequences for that poor throw. Uh, because um, later on, uh, we arrived in St. at in the evening and my feet were so cold. Um, I just couldn't get them warm again and it was really freezing at night in St. and And... Uh,
1: well, it wasn't just because of that. Remember, you did try and do that river crossing and then just put <laughs> both feet down in yeah. the river.
0: Like When you come up to a river crossing on your bike, the first thing that you should think is, can I ride over? And uh, Shelley's first thing is to think, well, should I just walk over? But I always think to ride, and um, uh, this one, I could. the water was nice and crystal clear coming down um in the ford so i was like okay i think it looks flat enough here i'll just be able to push through uh but i didn't give myself quite the run-up that was required and uh yeah three quarters over i had to put both feet in the water (laughs) (laughs) uh right up to my ankles uh yeah probably my shins actually uh so then i had two wet shoes um and two freezing feet and i think you know you guys you know, you had a bit of a laugh at me there, but, you know, you probably wouldn't be laughing if I had hypothermia of the feet.
1: <laughs> Is that a real thing?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's in the, um, in the, well, there's been studies in the British Medical Journal about, you oh, know, the seriousness God. of that, particularly for touring cyclists. And, uh, Gosh, if I know, understood that. It's a big issue out there yeah. in the touring cycling yeah. community, and I yeah. think it's one that we all should be aware on, aware of. So, ladies and gentlemen, just please be careful. Be yep. careful out there. Don't get the hypothermia of the feet. It's, it's horrible.
1: The, the lovely town of Motueka, which is um, it's a fruity town, isn't it? In terms of the fact that they grow a lot of fruit. Uh, good day, good day. <laughs> it, so not only did it provide us with delicious fruit, but also other goodness in the form of such amazing fish and chips from the Happy Chippy. And this was a fish and chip shop that we weren't too sure about because we thought, happy happiest fish and chip shop in New Zealand? Yeah, it's I all had true. My doubts.
0: It's I had my true. doubts. Yeah, she was pretty happy. And it's not just because she wrote big smiley faces on the packets of fish and chips at the end. She had a real big smile on her face. And um, when you reciprocate that smile, if anyone is going to Motueka and wants fish and chips, here's a bit of advice. You smile at the happy chippy, and the happy chippy will put like extra fish in your packet. Yeah. So... It was pretty good, and the whole deal, for about 22 bucks, we got a massive feed of fish and chips, way too much. Like, for the first time on this trip, um, we had to sort of take some of the fish and chips in the pannier with us to have the next day yeah. um, microwaved up in the morning. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was brilliant, and what was, like, way more satisfying, well, you know, extra, satisf- extra satisfaction that was included in the whole experience was um, that we um, got to breach one of the local liquor bands uh, while we were eating the fish and chips. We decided not to carry them with us and just to eat them out on the street outside the shop. Um, previous to buying the fish and chips, we were across the road at the liquor store where we bought six uh, Southern Gold Lagers. Now,
1: I'd just at this point like to interrupt and get a Californian's review of the Southern Gold Lager. Nick?
0: Uh, I,
1: it, was, uh, it was wet. Yeah. He doesn't want to commit to liking it, but he genuinely liked it. It,
0: it was also yeah, $7.50, which is a very good price. This helped him to like it more. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So $7.50 for six beers. And then, yeah, we had to k- sort of drink them surreptitiously across the road. Even though, like, right on the pavement outside where we were, it said, um, had a, like a spray-painted sign on the road, liquor ban. Mm. So, you know, I don't know, you know, you ride with me, you know. Wow these are sorts of things the sort of crimes you can start committing
1: you're you're pretty bad and just uh just a couple of doors down from that fish and chip shop is the motueka bakery where we purchased a delicious sandwich nick uh would you like to fill us in on that
2: oh it's called the the moist maker which i mean just pardon the name unless you're brian p namen
1: hashtag moist life
2: (laughs) it chose him he didn't choose it but um it's basically the, the greatest sandwich you can get. Uh, I believe it was bread and then a piling of whatever meat you would like. And then another piece of bread that was pre-soaked in just deliciousness and gravy. Um, was it coleslaw and onions and then more meat and another piece of bread. Yep. Yeah. And then that whole thing was slathered in gravy mm-hmm. and it came with a little piece of uh, fried pork fat,
0: which was just... Delectable and, and when, when you're describing that, people at home would be like, Oh man, there's no way I can afford that! You know, all, all that stuff that you just described that's going into oh, that yes, sandwich, man. you'd be thinking, Oh, you know, the cycle those guys must be rich, they must be getting a lot of prize money from their sheep dog trialing. But in reality, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that sandwich was only six dollars. So it's, it, I, you know, I mean, it's a bit, it's a treat situation, obviously, but it's probably not going to break your bank. <laughs> <laughs> you may think that
1: that was the highlight of our trip, but it wasn't. The highlight was actually our visit to the Te Marae in Motueka, where we were welcomed on by Matua Sean.
3: Kia no koutou, uh, ko Sean Delaney ingoa, he no Te Aupauri, uh, tupake hau ki te kao, uh, ki te hiku o te so my name is uh, Sean Delaney, real Maori name that one. Uh, comes from my father's side, who was of Irish, English, Scandinavian descent. Uh, my mother is from Te Aupauri in the far north, north of Kaitai, a little settlement there, probably population 240 people. Uh, so I grew up uh, immersed in the Maori culture, and as well as as learning to appreciate my dad's side of the family, who grew up in Wellington. Uh, so for him, he was an engineer who was shipwrecked in the far north back in early 1970s on the uh, replica ship of um, James Cook, the Endeavour, Endeavour 2 it was called. And so they come into a storm uh, northeast uh, off the Cape and yeah, got shipwrecked there and a year later I was born. And then a year or so after that was my my brother and and so on and so forth. So uh, just coming back to the marae we are at, so Te is Marae is a place of gathering for Māori. So, the two local people here are Te Atiawa and Ngati Radwa, who come from the Tainui Waka and the Tokomaru Waka. So, those were ancestral canoes uh, that came over from Hawaii or from the Polynesian Islands. And they've been settled here probably since circa 1820, uh, say. Uh, so, we just went through the formal welcome, which is called Porphyry. And basically, a Porphyry was to discern. Uh, whether a a group, a people came in peace or came in war. And so it was a systematic probationary period really to build trust and to find out why people were here and and who they come from. And it was about bringing two people together for the common good. So we went through the um, formal process there. So I spoke uh, in Māori. And generally it consists, the formal speech consists of acknowledgement to God. We acknowledge all our old people who passed on, for they are the ones who paved the way for us, and likewise will pave the way for our children. We acknowledge um, tribal ties, so commonalities. At the end of the day, we're all flesh and bone, I believe. Although we may have uh, different coloured skin and different... Uh, languages uh, at the end of the day there is a lot to be thankful for and to give thanks for so we acknowledge those things we acknowledge the elemental forces around us the sky above the earth below the trees the birds the insects and everything in between so we acknowledge all those things we acknowledge the ancestral house we were standing in so that was Turanga Peke, who was a descent of, uh, who was an ancestor of Ngāti Rārua, Te Atiawa. And we acknowledge the mountains here, Tua Whare Papa and Pukeone, the rivers, the ocean and all those sorts of things. And then we acknowledge uh, the guests and where they come from, uh, the purpose of why they're here, perhaps which is really on their behalf to respond to that. And so they give clarity to that. And so we acknowledge them. We acknowledge who they come from. We acknowledge that they are the living face of their ancestors. They are the combination of all those generations that have gone before them. Uh, we That's mana. So we acknowledge the mana that they bring. And, and in itself, mana means so many things. It means potential. It means the authority they bring, you know, that spiritual force that they bring with them. And, yeah, so uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. We, generally following uh, formal speech making, will have a song. And generally the song is is a chant. And it usually supports uh, the theme or the purpose of why we've just had the welcome. Um, And after that, we usually you have informal introductions so you, you give more to where you're from and where you grew up and maybe your favorite ice cream or something and then you usually break bread after that which is you know is a common thre- theme through all cultures throughout the world you sit and you break bread that's where you really get to know people you know you oh and you find out certain things and once again those commonalities and all those sort of themes and then um from there generally that's when you get into your business you got to get take care of those things. A friend of mine who sort of does business in China reckons you need to take someone who, who drinks a lot of alcohol because that's how they roll first. They get to the business after those things. And I think Japanese are very similar as well. And I'd say a lot of other cultures are like that. They want to suss you out. They want to find out what type of a man or woman this is. Can we trust them? You know, can we do business with them? You know, and, and that's a great approach. And it's something certainly tribal that They've had to adapt and find out uh, so that's yeah generally that's that's the welcome in a real formal setting you have the the warriors go out and so they'll taunt the, the guests you know and they'll be called in by the by the woman they'll do the karanga and they'll call them into the house so there's all that other process that that happens
1: What an incredible experience, and not one that we could share with you because um, the etiquette is that you're not supposed to film or photograph or record your welcome onto the marae in any way. So we we couldn't record the audio of it, but um, it was very special. And uh, Baden and Nick, I was really proud of you guys. You both spoke on the marae.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty awesome experience. Matua um, Sean, he um, you know welcomed us on in Tereau and gave a little speech in English as well, and then. I got up and tried to um, sort of bring back some memories of how to do a mihi, or, which is like a greeting on a marae. And so I did a little mihi in Māori, uh, uh, did a little speech on our trip, and then uh, sung a song in Māori as well, which is kind of uh, I hadn't done in public for quite a long time, only uh, in front of Shelley while we we're cycling somewhere in the Andes and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that was... Uh, A really awesome experience and uh, a a real privilege to be honest.
1: Yeah I could see um, all of the the guys at the marae that were nodding while you were singing the song I think they recognized it and Nick you got up and said a few words as well.
2: Yeah um, had I known that I didn't need to uh, (laughs) I might have not but uh, like Baden said it was it was a great privilege um, to experience that culture and the way they welcome you on there is, I mean, it's so honoring of, of you as an individual and especially them and their culture, they're just sharing it with you as an equal, not some outsider. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, there, <laughs> there's nothing I've experienced like it and uh, I hope to take what I learned there, you know, throughout my travels and my life in general.
1: Yeah, they, they had a lot of wisdom for us and um, when, you, when you speak on a marae, um, it's traditional to sort of sing something afterwards and uh, Nick sung a really beautiful um, part of a song. That he knows by the Black Crows, and um, one of the ladies and <laughs> their pikiora she like started to get a tear in her eye. It was really, really beautiful. So everyone was, everyone was moved by that. And then um, after all the formal stuffs out of the way, you can just have a proper chat. And we had some, a cup of tea and some bikkies and some delicious apples um, with those guys. And then they showed us all around there their kind of empire, the, the marae's got lots of parts to it. Um, they had a garden, they had a gym, they had where their offices are, where they work. They had the kohanga reo, which is kind of like a school for, school for kids. Is it, do kids go there full time?
0: Uh, yeah I think so it's like it's like kindergarten oh, um, right. but it's total Maori immersion so it's all in te reo Maori which mm-hmm. is lovely. Um, we also had the privilege of going to Big John's carving studio John is a master carver he's been doing it for 40 years the knowledge that he has is incredible mm-hmm. and um, oh it was, it was just amazing to talk to him and um, sort of talk about um uh what motivates a lot of his designs and you know where they come from and and look at some of the work that he has done and is doing for future projects it was awesome
1: yeah because when we were in the studio you were saying it reminded you of your granddad's studio right
2: yeah my granddad uh did a lot of carvings uh mostly um ballerinas and dolls uh so figure carvings and just the smell i mean any any studio where you work with wood and you've got like a good larger belt sander and do a lot of uh, kind of more chisel work removal on wood it just has a certain smell and it just took me back it smells like home it's so good.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: they have as well a few um, they have emergency housing for any Fano or, or people that need help and they also have flats where some of the elders um, that are part of the community are able to live uh, close to the marae and close to kind of the heart of the community so it was a really special experience. Yeah, and we
0: rode away really happy didn't we I mean we just felt so privileged to have that opportunity and you no know, and it was the best thing it was a real insight in te ao maori you know the world of maori and um you know some of the things well some of the things that they're trying to do that are um like programs and um customs that kind of encapsulate what it is to be maori and and doing things in a maori way uh and yeah we just we just left away you no know, rode away from there so inspired
1: on from Motueka to the city of Nelson Really, really good cycle paths Really, really poopy, stinky pies No good pies in town What is with that, Baden?
0: Yeah, well, Nelson, there's so much creativity in town There's a lot of art um, You know, it's, uh, it's a really nice, well-put-together city You know, uh, you know as you said, you know, world-class cycle lanes And, you know, it seems like a proper civilization. But really not to have any good pie shops um, is, was really disappointing and I don't want to dwell on it too much but Nelson please come on you know pies are really part of Kiwi culture and you know your people really need a place to go to you know to congregate and you know where there are lots of different types of pies available but the
1: beer they grow a lot of hops around Nelson and Nick you hail from California and you're one of the lovers of craft beer and what do you think? We had what? Where did we go for a couple of beers?
2: Oh, we went to the Sprig and Fern. Yep. And we got a couple of their their drafts, and it was it was great. Uh, their IPA getting very close to a California IPA, my friends. Well done. Um, I'll definitely have a, a few others. <laughs>
1: I don't know what's going on behind us. There's some kind of port-related train, yeah, action. The
0: trains are coming in to load onto the ferry, which hasn't uh, quite come into harbour yet. Um, Nick's got a ferry out of here tonight. Okay. But we also went to the Golden Bear uh, Brewery in Mapua, and uh, that was pretty good. Uh, the oyster stout that they had, top notch. You know what? They put oysters um, like in a cage, get some oysters in a cage, and then dip that into the brew, and let it all ferment and all the like. You no, know, soak it all in and it's really good mm-hmm. yeah but you know it's getting a bit you know this is a cycle touring podcast talking about craft beer come on mm-hmm. let's move on okay. it's a bit cliche
1: okay um we we stayed with the um legendary Stephen uh in nelson well actually technically in stoke and the other thing that they have there in stoke is world-class peanut butter Hi, i'm monica i'm the
4: tour guide at fix peanut butter in nelson okay before we go through a question for the kids What do we need to do to these peanuts to turn them into peanut butter? That's not peanut butter. What do we have to do to these peanuts? Yeah. Put
0: them
4: in a machine. Yeah, what does a machine do to them? Uh, Make them all soft. Yeah, it squashes them. We've got a squashing machine. And before we squash them, we do something else to them that makes them taste much nicer. Adults. Roast them? Yeah, we roast them in a big oven, then we put them through the squashing machine, and we only add one other ingredient. So, yeah, you don't actually need to add oil. A lot of companies do. What they do is they siphon off the peanut oil. They sell that at a very good price. And then they pump in really cheap oil. So the ingredients will say canola oil, hydrogenated vegetable oil. But you don't need oil. Okay. Um, it's salt. Anyone know where the salt's from? It's nearby. Oh, um, near
0: Blenheim. Yeah.
4: It's, it's from salt from the ocean. You know when you go swimming and you get a mouthful of water and it's really salty? We get our salt from the ocean. And, and, and they bring it on a truck from Blenheim and we put that in with the peanuts. So, okay, kids, who knows which country has kangaroos and koala bears?
3: Australia.
4: Very good, yeah, that's where we get our peanuts from, from Queensland. Two hours in land from Brisbane. And once a week a giant ship comes from Port Brisbane and docks at Port Nelson, and then the trucks come here on a, the peanuts come on a truck, and it's, um, it's 30,000 kilos we're using a week now. It's a big day in the car park when they unload the peanuts, yeah. So we're going to go through and watch them making the peanut butter, which is cool. going where are they going next Internet. yeah they're getting sucked up by vacuum cleaner pipe basically into the big high silver box up there oh look dave's filling the lid machine that's the lid machine he's checking that it's got enough lids in now he's checking the other machine he's going to start it soon oh he started it oh yeah there they go they're off it's like magic isn't it there they go Super of the machine. So, all we have to do is pour our peanuts in the top, and peanut butter is going to come out when we turn the handle. Here are our roasted, salted peanuts, that's all we need. i going to pour them in. Oh, lovely. There we go. Okay. And a bowl to catch the peanut butter. And Bob's your uncle. Okay. Here's our bowl. So if you're wondering who Pick is, because it's called Pick's Peanut Butter, and you're thinking, well, who's Pick? What's Pick? So Pick is that man down there in that photograph. He's got a red shirt on. And that black dog next to him is his dog. That's Fido. And that's why there's black dogs on our other building and on our jars sometimes, because he really likes Fido. Because Fido helps him a lot, because he can't see very well. So he's had Fido for four years, and he holds to Fido's lead, and, and Fido makes sure he doesn't bang into things, because he can't really see. Okay. So he started out nine years ago in his kitchen, roasting peanuts in his oven, um, squashing them in his food processor, and then selling 30 jars a week at the local farmer's market, um, printing the labels on his computer. Um, and that was just, everything that's happened has happened in nine years since then. Moved from the farmer's market to the Saturday market. Got this calendar by Mark at Fresh Choice food Market in town, who said, I'd like to stock you. It's wonderful peanut butter. Um, and it's all just been wonderful growth ever since.
0: You might have noticed in that recording from the peanut butter factory tour that you know I might have seemed a bit morose, uh, a bit upset. Now, <laughs> the reason for that is um, on the well. I'm the pretty sure no one noticed that, but okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I did win three stars from answering all three questions correct. The lady said um, that uh, Monica, she said that no one else has ever done that before. So, big congratulations for me. I've got three stickers of um, on my chest still from that He's day. He's still wearing those stickers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this top has not been cleaned in a few days now um but yeah you know other than that it was quite a sad trip for me um on the way to the peanut butter factory we were running a bit late going along the world-class cycle path there in stoke and uh, a bird sh- well, something shut on my face <laughs> 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 now, <laughs> now um no one wants that to happen really do they you know you're just cycling along and then you notice something this goes plop onto your face and you often think whoa look have I run into a bug or something of it as a bug just sort of flew into my face and so I went to wipe my nose and um, where I felt the impact and there was uh, some sort of like brown gooey um, liquid uh, sat there on my nose and uh, yeah a few alarm bells rang Um, you know it's not ideal um, to have something um, shit on your face while you're cycling Um, but basically I said um, Shelley, look, um, something just shut on my face can we please stop here and uh, sort of remedy the situation and she was like, no, 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 we're running late to the peanut butter factory museum tour and I was like, "Uh, I'm sorry Shelley but something just shut on my face Uh, we need to sort this out Uh, Luckily, um, there were trees on the side of the path, and so I I wheeled over there and started sort of wiping it off my nose. Um, Didn't
1: you kind of make Nick help you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Nick Nick came to help and investigate. I really appreciate that, Nick. Thanks very much. Um, Cheers. Yeah, it was uh, no. I mean, my wife wasn't my own wife wasn't refusing to help, so it was nice to have know someone you could consider a friend at that time of need. But anyway. what, luckily, a lady was walking past with a, um, uh, baby. Push, a baby in a push chair. So I said, look, um, excuse me, someone just shadow on my face. Uh, <laughs> could I, <laughs> I, I? I assume you have wet wipes. Um, and she, indeed, she did. She said she wet wipes. So I was managed to do a full clean off. And, you know, when we arrived at the Peanut Butter Factory tour, uh, no one else was aware apart from you guys that something had shattered my face. So... <sighs> Yes, hope that doesn't happen again.
1: In about an hour, our friend Nick Armstrong will be boarding the ferry to head to Wellington. Um, And he's going to be there waiting for us when we arrive tomorrow, right?
0: Yeah, it's um, the last day of our cycle tour tomorrow. We cycle home to the Hutt Valley. That Hutt Valley you've heard of uh, so many times uh, during our 42 podcasts. Um, The 43rd podcast will let our listeners sort of live what it's like in the Hutt Valley for the first time.
1: I'm sure you're all looking forward to that. In the meantime, that's our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you to our hosts um, uh, over the last wee while, Jake and Emily, Finn, Katie, Richard and Min, Stephen and Ali, and of course, Tina Duncan. Um, if you'd like to post a comment under this podcast, you can head to our blog at com. We always love to get a little bit of feedback. There are also some links on there for subscribing to the podcast. And, of course, we will have photos, yes, and there will be one with Baden with bird poo on his nose. Uh, Thank you to Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast. You can find Callum. He performs under Runtime on SoundCloud. You can find Baden online, at Baden C on Twitter, or Baden Cycling on Instagram. You can find Nick Armstrong on Instagram, and Life at Human Speed. (laughs) Okay, until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye.
0: Haere da!
2: Adios!